So let's open up to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, we'll be uh, beginning in verses, well, we'll do 35 through 38 right now. We, we study through the Bible verse by verse. Um, and Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 through 38 says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Father, we come before you with your precious word in front of us. We pray that it wouldn't just be in front of us, but we'd have ears to hear and hearts to obey. And so God, we, we pray that your, your spirit would do what you desire among your church this morning. Lord, there are many that are among us and around us, God, that are totally lost and, and out to lunch. And we, it's so easy to write them off and we forget so quickly that we were once them. Apart from your grace, apart from one's sin, apart from the heart and the compassion of God towards us, Lord, we would be lost. And so, Lord, may we be those who are called, maybe those who hear the call and, and send and partner with you in the work of your ministry. All by grace. And in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You know, as we get to the end of chapter nine of Matthew, Matthew's in, particularly in verse 35, Matthew's transitioning us from one flow of thought that he's been talking about from several, for several chapters, the authority of Jesus Christ, both as a teacher and in his works, he's painting the picture like, Hey, look at what Jesus is doing. He grabs 10 examples. Uh, well, he gives us the sermon on the mountain. So we see his, his authority as the teacher of Israel. That's in Matthew's chapter five through seven. And then in chapters eight and nine, he just demonstrates all his power as the miracle worker of Israel. The one that was prophesied about in the old Testament. So Matthew's just basically from the end of chapter four, all the way through chapter nine, he's saying, Hey, this is the Messiah. And these are the proofs of all that in his teaching and what he did. And so in verse 35, he gives us this, this verse where it says that he's going around everywhere. He's doing all these miracles and he's delivering people. He's preaching. He's, he's doing all this stuff. Well, that's the same verse he gave us back in chapter four, verse, I think 23. And so those are bookends. He starts at 423 and then he, he talks about the authority of Jesus and then he ends it. Now he's transitioning to something a little different. Instead of talking about Jesus's authority, which is important because you, you know, it's not just believing that Jesus, uh, you know, that he, he saves you. And by the way, that's super important, but it's in who he is, right? It's in who he is. He is the son of God. He has the authority to save you. He has the authority to forgive sin. He has the authority over demons, over nature, over everything. He is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. He is God on earth. He's the son of God, God, the son and so forth, so on. And so he makes this big statement. And so Jesus is walking around doing the, all these miracles, uh, in the region of Galilee. And we pick up in verse 35, which says, and Jesus went throughout all their cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And again, we've seen Jesus' authority as he ministered here over the last few chapters. And now we see into the heart of God as he ministers. Verse 36. And when he saw the crowds, these are the people that he's walking among and ministering to and doing all these things. When he saw the crowds, 
He had compassion for them because they were harassed and they were helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So as Jesus is ministering to the masses, compassion flowed from his heart to the people around him. Compassion was in the heart of God. Do you, we, we sometimes forget about that, that God, our God is a compassionate God. He is full of compassion. Matthew had just given us several examples of the predicaments that the children of Israel were in. The Jews were in as Jesus ministered among them. They were diseased with all kinds of diseases. They were suffering. They were sick. They were uh, oppressed and, and by the way, possessed by demons. The enemy was having his way with them. It was manifesting itself and guys running around naked and cutting themselves and people losing their minds of people being mute and deaf, throwing themselves into fires. They were in sin, suffering because of their sin, paralyzed because of their sin. They were dying because of their sin and so forth and so on. And Jesus says he was among them. He looked at the spiritual and physical state of these people. He was ministering to, and his reaction was that of compassion. We need to remember that God has a heart of compassion. Look around us. These days, God has a heart of compassion. Amen. Amen. And that word compassion has the idea of being moved to the core of one's being with love and pity. You know, just being overwhelmed at the state of someone else's situation. You have a love and pity and compassion is the word there. That word compassion is in several places in the New Testament. I'll just give you uh, one good example um, that helps illustrate it. Remember the story of the prodigal son. That's uh, Luke 15. And basically in Luke 15, 20 is a great verse. It says that, and he rose and came to his father. This is after the prodigal son was away and had squandered all his inheritance and done all that stuff. He was out of his mind. And he finally looked up from the pig slop and said, you know what? I got to go back to my dad. And so he makes his way home and it says he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. After he had done all those things, after he'd been far away, after he had squandered, you know, the fan and, and ruined the family name and all that kind of stuff. He had compassion and he ran and he embraced him and he kissed him. That's the compassion of God. Amen. Jesus had compassion for the people who were harassed and helpless. And the imagery that Jesus had in his compassion was them being like a sheep without a shepherd. That's an imagery that everybody in Israel would have understood there. A sheep without a shepherd. We know the role of a shepherd, right? Shepherd is to take care of sheep, right? You feed them, make sure they have food, right? That's important. Like if you forget to feed your sheep, that's not good. Like, I don't know what happens if you don't feed sheep, but I know what happens if you don't feed kids, right? Um, so not, 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 I mean, I feed my kids, but it doesn't take long before they want to eat, right? Um, but, you know, uh, the role of a shepherd is to tend, is, is to love and to tend and to feed and protect. That's, that's general. There's a lot more. Love, tend, feed, protect. And this is kind of what the elders and I always try to think of. 
how do we manifest the love of God to the people of God? How do we uh, tend other practical things that need help within the body of Christ? Um, do we feed you? Are we feeding you spiritual food and are we protecting you from the enemy? So to speak, not that we're God, but we're put here as ministers of God to be shepherds. And so sheep without a shepherd are subject to all kinds of trouble. The wolves prey on sheep, right? Wolves prey on sheep without a shepherd. They get easily diseased without the tending of a shepherd. I mean, sheep are dirty animals. Like really, how many of you have sheep? Like, okay, no one's raising their hand. Yes. Okay. I knew you were going to do that. Okay. We got one person with a sheep. They're dirty animals. Uh, they, 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 and, and they get lost without the guidance of a shepherd. They're all over the hills. And Jesus talks about it. If he loses one, he leaves the 99, goes find it and brings it back. Amen. But the, the, the idea is a sheep without a shepherd is harassed and helpless. That's the idea. They're not like an apex predator. Amen. Neither are we. I know we like to think we are. We do a great job at attacking things and destroying things. But in reality, compared to the power of the enemy and what he does on us, we are definitely the prey. They are harassed and helpless. And, and this is what Jesus saw as he ministered among the Jews. They were being harassed by the devil who is possessing and oppressing them and manifesting himself in all kinds of things. And the disease and the sickness that was, was manifesting itself um, in, in that, in that, in those people. And by the way, um, you know, I'm not saying that all disease is, is a result of the enemy. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that, that there was a manifestation and there, there are manifestations of the enemy where it manifests itself in disease and a mental illness and all this type of stuff. That's the truth of it. The enemy is at work and we like to go about different ways and say, Oh, it's this or that. And it's like, well, I mean, we can kind of sense it as Christians. Like there's something beyond the normal that's happening. A lot of the time, yes, people get sick and all that type of stuff. And I'm not dismissing that, but what was happening was clearly demonic in Jesus's time. And Jesus looked at it at that view in much of what was going on. Now we know there's other examples where he said, listen, this, you know, who sinned this person or his parents. And Jesus said, neither that that's not the situation that was going on neither this man nor his parents, but that God might be glorified. So there are situations where that wasn't happening. I'm getting off track here, but, but the, the enemy was harassing them and they were helpless under his power and under his sway and his power. Not only that, the enemy is harassing them through the false teaching. They were getting bad food and the Pharisees were there teaching them a bunch of nonsense. They would give them the Bible and the law and all this kind of stuff, but they didn't give them the heart of God behind it. They were giving them, man's interpretations of these things. And so they were being led astray by these false shepherds of Israel. And, and, you know, not much has changed as far as the tactics of the enemy. As you know, as you look around Walla Walla, as you look around our nation, what, what do we see? The enemy is still at work. And so is God, by the way. And so Jesus, the great shepherd of Israel, he comes to the nation of Israel. He comes to his own into Galilee and to those living in darkness in the shadow of death. And they see a great light. All this is going on. There's possession, there's sickness, there's disease. And there's just this heavy handedness of the enemy. And then all of a sudden Jesus busts into the situation and people are being freed from this stuff. How awesome is that? He has compassion in their helplessness and in their harassment. And Jesus came and he taught them and he healed them. 
and he mended them and he guided them and he restored them all who would come. And he manifested his divine authority as the shepherd of Israel, the Messiah. And he tended them and he loved them and he cared for them. And here in chapter nine, verse 37, Jesus and his compassion for these people then turns Matthew's flipping it here. It's all been focused on Jesus' authority, all he can do. And now what happens in verse 37, after all of this, it says, then he turned, said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. This is another image the Lord gives of what he saw. A bunch of people who needed to be brought near to God, but the harvesters were few. So the sheep without a shepherd, a harvester without harvesters. Now we, we, we kind of get the idea of a sheep without a shepherd, but we really understand harvest without a harvesters. You know, you got the fields are white with harvest. How many of us look around the fields here and it's harvest time. We know what's going to be happening. Combines are going to be going back and forth and harvest is going to happen. It's going to start, you know, by the river and it's going to work its way up until it's done in the hills. Right. And imagine if that just sat, you just saw one combine just going back and forth back and forth. And you're just looking at this going, man, what, this is not, this is not good. Like that's not right. There needs to be some more people out there uh, in the fields doing this. And this is what Jesus is saying. He's the one combine going back and forth. By the way, he's an awesome combine, right? He's the ultimate harvester. So don't get me, don't get me wrong. But Jesus has this imagery. He's trying to relay to his disciples. Look, there's sheep without a shepherd. Look, it's a harvest without harvesters. Do you see that? Do you see what's going on? Do you, do you catch my heart, the heart of God as he looks out into the people? Two ways of looking at the same thing. Sheep without a shepherd, a harvest without harvesters. It's people without spiritual guidance. And Jesus embodied every sense of both role of both shepherd and harvester. We got to make that clear. Jesus is the ultimate shepherd and the ultimate harvester. He tended and fed and protect and loved those sheep. And, and he draws people into the kingdom of God. Amen. So we know, we know these things about him. Um, and so Jesus has, has been and is the great shepherd and, and has been a great harvester, having compassion on the people, the harassed and the helpless. But now he's looking to his disciples and says, do you see what I see? Look out there. And this is the problem. We don't look with spiritual eyes. We don't have spiritual eyes to see what God sees. I struggle with this. Anyone else? We kind of look at it and we go, oh, it's all politics. You know, what a, what a tactic of the enemy. It's just to throw you into political camps and to hate one another to the point. Yes, I'm all for, for truth. You know that like men are men, men are men, women are women, all that kind of stuff. Right. But there are, there's a harvest of people. These are people who are harassed and, and helpless in being smacked around by the enemy and their own lust of their desires. And God would seek to reach them. God would seek to go into that mess of darkness, just like he did with all their problems and go love and pull them into his kingdom. And Jesus in effect is saying, there's much work to be done here, but not many workers. It's not that Jesus isn't awesome, but he in his bodily form was only one man. And this is why Jesus says, it's better that I leave 
Because when I go, my spirit's going to come down and be in all of you. I can be in all these, all of you. And I'm working through the church. And so I'm going to empower all of you to do what I did in a certain sense. And so you see, Jesus was going to be leaving the field. He was going to be leaving the earth. He's going to be leaving the harvest when his work was accomplished. His work of redemption was accomplished when his work of, of delegating his authority to his disciples was done of building the church and so forth. But that work is, it was to be continued. It was to be continued through shepherds to be continued through harvesters who he would call and he would empower and he would send out when disciples send. And there was so much work to be done. And so what's Jesus' solution to the great need around us, to the great need there? What's the solution? Zip recruiter. We've got to get a committee together. We've got to, you know, organize our armies. If we can just find that super qualified person to go do it. That would be awesome. What does Jesus say to his disciples? Verse 38. Therefore pray. Oh man. I want to pray. I want to get a committee together. I want to, you know, find, you know, do all these things that the world, the world does. This is the way that God works. That's not the way he works in his kingdom. What does he say to you and me about the needs in our life, about the great need around us, about what needs to happen in our church and all these types of other things and, and wall to wall and the place around us pray, pray. And how do we pray? Pray earnestly. Earnestly means wholeheartedly heartfelt. It means sometimes that word is translated beseech or beg. It means that you really desire that the will of God would happen in this. You're asking him wholeheartedly for something. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest. Whose harvest is it? The Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into whose field into whose harvest his harvest. You see, God has a plan. And he's waking his disciples up to his plan and he's having them pray according to his will. And do you think when he prays that when they pray according to his will, he's going to abandon them? No, they pray according to his will so that he might answer it, that they might go bear fruit and bring glory to God. John 15. This is the power of prayer church. We, when we learn to pray according to his will, he answers and he gets glory and we are empowered and excited in the midst of that. And so Jesus gathers disciples They don't get into a committee. They just gather together in verse 38. He tells them, pray earnestly. And by the way, the disciples are not the 12 here. They're going to be the 12 soon, but this is just the group of people following Jesus at this point. Disciple. Well, we'll get into that in a second, but they've been learning from him and seeing what's going on. And he calls them together as they're following him, watching him and seeing the need and seeing what's happening in people's lives. And they see the work that needs to be done. And he gathers them together so that, and he says, pray earnestly, pray wholeheartedly to the Lord, pray to the one who's in control of all of this, pray to the Lord of the harvest. 
You know, when you look out at the world, we get intimidated, don't we? But we forget who's the one who's in control. Who's the Lord of the harvest. The one who knows who are the wheat, the one who knows who are the chaff, so to speak, the ones who are going to reject him, even though he calls to them. So pray to the father, pray that he would send out labors into his harvest. And this is what Jesus was asking his disciples to do. Pray that God would send people into the lives of people to be shepherds and to minister and to be messengers and to be ambassadors. Pray for this. Do you think maybe it's, do you think we should continue to do that? Has the need change? Have there become less people on the earth? And I think as Jesus said that to these guys, you know what happened? I think they started to pray. I think they just listened to the Lord and they started to pray. And how many of you think their prayers were perfect? Just awesome, polished, perfect prayers. How many of you think they're like, okay, he just, okay. I barely even get the analogy, God. Um, but you say to pray. So I'm just going to jump in here and start praying. Anybody else like that? Yeah. So I think there was a lot of God. There's such a great need here. I'm watching your son do amazing things here. And yet he says there's need for more. So father send more harvesters into the harvest. And as they start to pray for God's will, I think that the natural question is, is what am I supposed to be sent? That's what happens as you pray for God's will. What, what's my role in this? What am I to do? I know that's your will, but how, how do I, how do I fit in? And how many at that point, when you start to know there's a need, you start to look at the gap between who you are and what the call is. And you go, yeah, let's do something else. And how many of you don't realize at that point is when the enemy starts to attack. When you start to lay hold of the things that God would seek for you. And I bet you many of them were praying that they wanted to be those men. Lord, I think I want to do that for us. Those women as well. You know, I I want to do that. Lord, gosh, that's intimidating. I see what you're doing and what power you do with success and, and also the hostility and all those things. And I'm just, I'm just a fisherman. I'm just a tax collector. I'm just a mom. I don't know. It's like saying more than all those things, being a mom. I understand that, but you know what I mean? Right. <laughs> it's like, it's like president of the United States, mom, right? I gotcha. It's like, you know, so send the other guy, Lord, <laughs> anybody else like, yeah, send them. They're so man that you need them. And maybe God does want them to go. I'm just guessing, but they prayed to God to send to send people, to send people into the harvest. Are we praying like this? Do we even see the field? Do we even see the shepherdless sheep? Do we even have the heart of God in us? You see, this is what happens when you hang around Jesus is you, is you get his heart, his, the way he sees things. That's how we want to see the world, not how politics frames it. Even though many of those things might line up rightly with maybe the heart of God, it's it's just don't let that shape your worldview. Let Jesus shape your worldview. That's hard, but let him shape your worldview. 
Let his compassion fill your heart for the lost. And yes, there's reason to be angry over sin, but don't forget about yourself. Anyone else? It's not that we don't call right, right and wrong, wrong. It's just that we judge with a measure that we'll be judged with. And so we want to have mercy upon people because we want mercy. Amen. So this heart of God, and we trust the judgment of God in these circumstances, but do we have compassion for the world around us? That's harassed and helpless. How many of us look at the world, not as harassed and helpless. They are the enemy's really powerful and he's really at work. And yeah, the wrath of God is playing into this and that people are just will not respond to God. And so he gives us over to a debased mind and we're having the situation in our culture, but nevertheless, God still has compassion even in the midst of our sin. Does he not? And he wants to draw us out and bring us towards him, but who's going to share with them. Who's going to go to them. Who's going to tell them. I, I know a lot of people are sick right now, but I mean, I'm not going to go to all of them. Are you No. someone else is right. What's the plan? Who's the plan? Yeah. You're the plan. The church is the plan. You're the ones that God would desire to send out. Amen. But you know, do we have compassion for the world around us that is harassed and helpless? Or have we written off the sheep scattered everywhere? Or have we written off the harvest as unharvestable or it's too big or whatever, or perhaps we've written ourselves off before we even given God a chance to do a work in our lives. Oh, I can't talk like pastor Matt or Lord. I don't want to talk like pastor Matt or whatever it might be. You know what I mean? It's like, you're not called to what I'm called to. This is, this is God picked me up and sent me here. You're called to something God's called you to. Amen. So are we praying? Are, are we praying for our church? Are we praying for the churches in Walla Walla? Are we praying for CCF and the people that were around and, and the things that are going really weird in our, in our, in our County and all that kind of stuff. Are we praying for God to do something with the harassed and the helpless and also against the enemy? Are we praying? Are we a praying church? Man, the flesh is willing, but the spirit is weak. Jesus said to pray that the Lord would send harvesters into his harvest. And little did they know God was going to answer their prayers. <laughs> he, gets, he tells them to pray. They start praying. And his whole plan is to choose from among the praying, the praying to go do the work. That's pretty cool, huh? And then what does it say there in chapter 10, verse one, it says, and he called the, he called to himself 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. You see God's desire to send uh, people to labor in his kingdom. And he, he desired that and he showed them the need. And then he asked them to pray right for his will. And then as they pray, God called some of them who were praying. He put it on their heart and not only put it on their heart, God actually met them and called them. It was an undeniable call in their life. They prayed and Jesus called them to himself. The physical Jesus in, in the earth came to these guys and they called them to himself. He drew out for himself. He set them apart for the work that he had called them to. This is awesome. 
And by the way, this is the pattern that we see in how God chooses people and calls people out maybe into special areas of ministry. I just want to say not only special, but I think probably common, but we see this in the new Testament over and over. Quick example of this is in the early church, Acts 1:24. it says, and they prayed. This is about replacing Judas who had betrayed and they prayed and said, you Lord know the hearts of all show which one of these two you have chosen uh, to take the place of the ministry of the apostleship from Judas, which turned aside, uh, which, which Judas turned aside to go in his own place. And they cast lots for them and the lot fell to Matthias and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. And so Forget about the casting lots and all that stuff. I'm not going to do a a Bible study on all that right now. They prayed and God chose. He called them out again. Acts 13 2. while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy spirit said, set apart for me, Barnabas and Saul for the work for which I've called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them out. What did they do? They were worshiping. They were gathered together. They were seeking God. They're fasting and they're praying. And then God said among the group of Christians, they said, call this person out for the work, which I've called them to. And they prayed and laid hands on them and sent them out. Paul and Barnabas. This is the pattern. Pray. And God will raise up from among us. Those who are to minister. Do you know that? And, and not only in an official capacities within the church, you know, as, as, as us, but just in the areas of need that you see in your life, you know, it's not just, you know, Oh, we're pastors. Like, you know, that's the ultimate level or whatever. No, it's like, you are the ministers of Jesus Christ. I'm not undermining the gifts of the undermining the gifts of the church. Yes. He's given those specially gifted leaders to the church for your edification, but you are called to the work of the ministry. It's to equip you for the good works that God has called you to church. And in that, you are, you might have a heart for someone or a group of people or something that's going on in your area. And you're just praying, God send someone. Why isn't there anyone going? Many of you guys have that. Well, guess what? Who that might be. It's you. It might be you. And you go, and then immediately you go, Oh no, but I'm, I don't know how to say the words. Oh, I'm sorry. Who created your mouth as Jesus, if God said to Moses, What did Jesus do with these 12 ordinary men? He called them to himself and he gave them authority. What God calls you to do, he will empower you to do, but you step out in faith. Amen. And this is not dismissing training and education, all those things that we can add to it, but this don't let that be the main thing. Trust God. Don't look at the gap. Look at God. Amen. And they prayed and they were called out and they were sent. This is the pattern here. Jesus calls them to pray. He calls them out to himself. And what Matthew doesn't tell us, but Luke does is that while they were praying, Jesus was praying pretty cool. And in, in Luke chapter six, 12 through 13, it says that in these days, he went out to the mountain to pray and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when the day came, he called his disciples and chose from them 12 whom he named apostles. Pretty cool, huh? Oh, wait, he's telling you to pray. But guess what? Jesus was interceding. And he went before the father. And we know from John 17, I, where, G, where the Lord 
uh, speaks there. I've manifested to them your name. I've manifested them to your word, the ones you have called. It's talking about the disciples there in the first several verses. Jesus prayed for the will of the father. And it was his will that these 12 would be chosen. Even Judas who would betray them. Read the end of John chapter six. The Lord knew all the whole time who he'd be, but this, that, that would fulfill prophecy. And so there was a greater group of disciples of whom Jesus took 12 to be apostles out of the word disciple is, uh, uh, Mathetes. Actually in the Greek, it means a learner or a pupil. And so first you're under Jesus and you learn, you learn. So you come to Jesus. So basically you're, you're one to Christ. You come to Christ, right? You believe in Christ, your savior. And then he teaches you about himself. Now you're always going to be learning. You're always going to be disciples. Amen. And so don't get stuck in the ivory tower thing of being in college perpetually and never actually going out and doing work. No, like he'll teach you as you go, but it is important. He spends a time teaching you the fundamentals, teaching you the basics. And so be devoted to that. Be devoted of learning of Jesus. Be devote yourself to learning of Jesus, being gathered together with the saints, praying for one another, growing with one another, helping one another, another out, discovering your gifts, using your gifts, refining your gifts, all those things. In the meanwhile, God is going to raise you up and he's going to use you for a purpose in his kingdom. You're not going to be polished case in point. Amen. And so disciples, it's from the disciples, the ones who are his pupils that he then chose 12 to be his apostles. The word apostle comes from two words, Stella, which means, uh, which means sent and apo, which means away from sent away from. And the idea in ancient Greek was used quite often in dispatching ships to a foreign land. So like a military type of thing. And the idea is of that of an ambassador. He took these one. That's what apostle means. It means a sent one. They were called out from among the disciples to be his special ambassadors to be sent. That's what the apostles were. And that's exactly what Jesus was doing. And he called his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal every disease and every affliction. Jesus gave them the same authority to do exactly what he was doing. How many of you did the extra credit last week? Yeah. Well, go read it. Well, I'm not going to give it to you. It was awesome. Anyways, now it's important to know that Jesus didn't give all his disciples the same authority. He gave these 12 apostles the, this authority at this time. That's what happened. But the important thing for us to know beyond these 12 men being called by the Lord and him sending them out is that what God calls us to do in his kingdom, he's going to empower us to do. So don't be afraid church. <laughs> don't be afraid about the gap. Don't worry about the gap. Look to God. Amen. Like he's calling you to, to share with someone, just be faithful and trust him and do it. God will empower you and he'll teach you as you go. Don't wait to be the finished product. This is how it works. Discipleship is not a series of, you know, after four years of college, then you finally get a job. What is it? It's they're just hanging out with Jesus every day, doing the work of the ministry. Amen. Some of you might not know this, but I was a pastor before I was educated. You're like, Oh gosh, I'm leaving now. <laughs> and you see the problem. I'm just saying God, God works. Just, just be, just lean into Jesus, lean into Jesus, follow Jesus, obey Jesus. And let him use you. 
man, the last thing we want to do, it's not that we glorify our ignorance or anything like that. It's just the last thing we want to do is people to go, Oh, look at Matt or look at you or whoever it might be. Although we are being used by God, we want to go, man, God really ministered to me today. There was something that transcends the person. Amen. There's something that transcends the person, you know, as much as I want you to like me, I want you to love God. Make sense. Like get beyond ourselves in ministry, get beyond us and stop being so concerned about how we feel and how people think of us and all this kind of stuff. And just, be in love with the Lord and be used by him and let him use the broken empty vessel and let him fill you with himself and use you in spectacular ways. And people go, man, that must've been God. Cause it certainly wasn't you. Amen. Yes. All glory to him. So don't look at the gap, look to God. And, and, and then Matthew lists these men, by the way, the name of the 12 apostles are these and verse two, first Simon, who is called Peter and Andrew, his brother, and then James, the son of Zebedee and John, his brother. So uh, two sets of brothers there. Then Philip and Bartholomew, then Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, um, then Simon, the zealot and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. And so we have the 12 apostles here distinct from the other disciples there. Nevertheless, 12 ordinary men who became extraordinary because of Jesus Christ. Pretty amazing. And these are listed in, in all of the gospels, always with Peter first, all four of the gospels, Peter first, Judas last. This kind of works. Je- Peter happened to be the spokesman for the apostles. And we know Peter, <laughs> right? <laughs> and it's like, but nevertheless, it's like the people God uses. It's amazing. Um, Peter first, Judas last. And it seems that they are arranged in three groups of four. And so there's always a method to his madness. So he has three groups of four, each with kind of a leader. And so the first group, Peter would be the leader of this first group with his brother, Andrew. And then there's the brothers, James and John. Notice these guys were all fishermen together, right? They're always hanging out on the lake and stuff. So Jesus kept this, this group as kind of a, of a team. And by the way, they're named in twos as well. Cause that's how Jesus sent them out in twos. Um, and, and then uh, by the way, James here, James and John, James is called the son of Zebedee because there's more Jameses in the gang right? There's a, there's two Jameses, James, the son of Alphaeus, who was called James the lesser, not because he's less, but because he was younger. And here's James. And so you were identified, you didn't have last names. So you're identified by your father's name. And so here's James, the son of Zebedee. And obviously his brother, John, they're called the sons of thunder, right? Cause they wanted to, you know, Hey, look at these people. Should we call down fire on them? I know some of you guys want to call down fire on people, right? And then what happened to John at the end of his life? Who was he known as the apostle of fire or the apostle of what? Of love. What Jesus can do in a heart over some time. Amen. Grace of God. And he's the only one who didn't lose his life. And so uh, these all would have all been fishing buddies in that first group. And you have Peter there. And then we have Philip. Uh, leading the second group of four with Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew, the tax collector. Then the last group was led by James, the son of Alphaeus. Again, James, the less, um, because he was younger than James, the son of Zebedee. And so his group had Thaddeus, who is probably also Nathaniel, by the way. Um, and then Simon, the zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed Jesus. 
And so a couple of books I would recommend for you to look at regarding these guys. One is called The Book of Martyrs by John Fox, F-O-X-E, John Fox. Um, And he takes the early church history records of all the martyrs, how they were all killed. It was written quite a while ago, but yeah, you can probably download that for free is my guess. Guess it's called uh, Book of Martyrs by John Fox, J-O-H-N-F-O-X-E. And I think, again, you can download that. Another one is 12 Ordinary Men by John MacArthur. I really like what he does and it goes into here and it just explains the qualities of these guys, um, of who God chooses and how he uses uh, these guys from fishermen to tax collectors to political zealots and all that type of stuff. And yet through these guys, he turns the world upside down. So Jesus chose these men to be apostles. He gives them his authority. They're going out and doing all this stuff. And now he's preparing to send them into the fields to gather the sheep and to, I mean, to minister to the sheep and to harvest the grain. Now in this, this next section, really, we're going to, we're going to pause in just a minute because we'll, we'll end today because it needs a lot of explanation because it's going to go into depth here about everything Jesus tells them as they go. And it's really good for us as we go out into the world minister. But um, before we do that, I just want to kind of just show you these guys were called out, but almost all of them, except for John, they all died in their calling. They all died in their calling. Um, and I want to read from Fox's book of martyrs here, but Eusebius, the most important of the early church historians, I think wrote his history of the early church in 8325. And he wrote regarding these men, not only the, uh, not only the apostles, but those who wrote the new Testament. And that's who I'm going to be referring to here. It says the apostles and the disciples of the savior scattered over the whole world. They preached the gospel everywhere. And so that's a few hundred years after, and they're able to look and see the impact of what these men did and started and how it took root in all over the world. And so listen to what it cost the apostles and also some of those who wrote and preached the gospels. Listen to what happened to them. Um, this is out of Fox's book of martyrs. Matthew suffered martyrdom in Ethiopia, killed by a sword wound. So that's the ministry in Africa there. Mark died in Alexandria, Egypt, after being dragged by horses through the street until he was dead. Mark, the young, young the guy who wrote the book of Mark, who I think got his information mostly from Mary, maybe Peter. Mark is often called Peter's gospel, but he, uh, he was a young guy who ran away naked. Um, anyways, he died in Alexandria, Egypt, after being dragged by horses through the street until he was dead. Luke was hanged in Greece as a result of his tremendous preaching to the lost, John faced martyrdom when he was, uh, this is, this is conjecture here, but faced martyrdom when he was boiled in a huge basin of boiling oil during a wave of persecution to Rome. However, he was miraculously delivered from death. John was then sentenced to the mines on a prison of Island of the Island of Patmos, where he wrote the book of revelation. And the apostle John was later freed and returned to serve as Bishop of Edessa in modern Turkey, he died an old man, uh, the only apostle to die peacefully. Jesus kind of prophesied about that. There's a little bit of, you can read into church history there. Some take it with a grain of salt, but James, the just, which is Jesus's half brothers. A lot of Jameses. This is, these are, this is James, the just, this is the author of James. Uh, So after Jesus rose from the dead, his brothers came to the Lord, both Jude and James. So these are not the James, the greater James, the less in the apostles is a different group. He was the leader of the church in Jerusalem. Uh, 
And he was thrown over a hundred feet down from the Southeast pinnacle of the temple. When he refused to deny his faith in Christ, when they discovered that he survived the fall, his enemies beat James to death with the fuller's club. Uh, this was the same pinnacle where Satan had taken Jesus during the temptation. James, the greater, the son of Zebedee, this is John's brother, was a fisherman by trade when Jesus called him to a lifelong ministry, a lifetime ministry. And as a strong leader of the church, James was ultimately beheaded at Jerusalem. The Roman officer who guarded James watched amazed as James defended his faith at his trial. Later, the officer walked beside James to, to the place of uh, crucifixion of, of execution, excuse me, overcome by conviction. He declared his new faith to the judge and knelt beside James to accept being beheaded as a Christian. Bartholomew, also known as Nathaniel, was a missionary to Asia. He witnessed to our Lord in the present day Turkey. Bartholomew was martyred for his preaching in Armenia and was flayed to death by a whip. Andrew was crucified on an X-shaped cross in Patras, Greece. After being whipped severely by seven soldiers, they tied his body to a cross with cords to prolong his agony. His followers reported that when he was led uh, towards the cross, Andrew saluted it with these words. He says, I long, I have long desired and expected this happy hour. The cross has been consecrated by the body of Christ hanging on it. And he continued to preach to his tormentors for two days until he died. The apostle Thomas was stabbed with a spear in India during one of the missionary trips to establish the church in the subcontinent. I find it very interesting that Thomas, who, who was the doubter went the furthest. It's just a weird how God works. Jude, another half brother of Jesus. This was the one who wrote the, the letter of Jude there. He was killed with arrows when he refused to deny his faith in Christ. Matthias, the apostle chosen to replace the traitor Judas Iscariot was stoned and then beheaded. Barnabas, one of the group of the 70 of disciples, he preached throughout Italy and Cyprus and Barnabas was stoned to death at Salonica. <clears throat> the apostle Paul was tortured and then beheaded by the evil emperor Nero at Rome in 67 AD or somewhere around there. Um, Paul endured a lengthy imprisonment, which allowed him to write his many epistles to the church. He had formed throughout the Roman empire and these letters, which taught many of the foundational doctrines of Christianity form a large portion of the new Testament. We know this lastly, Peter, Peter was crucified upside down on an X shaped cross, according to church tradition, because he told his tormentors that he felt unworthy to die in the same way that Jesus had died. I believe his wife was killed as well. Uh, it costs them everything. It costs them everything. that this world has to offer. <laughs> but their lives were in Christ and his eternal kingdom, not in this present kingdom. That's re reserved for pi uh, fire. As Peter says, uh, their treasure was in heaven church. Um, their reward was in heaven. Nothing can take that away from them ever. And because of these men and, and women throughout the ages, godly men and women who suffered horrific things, thrown to lions, all this kind of stuff, suffered just absolute barbarism because of them. We have a trail of blood that leads us to this morning where we have in our possession, the words of the apostles and the testimony of the saints throughout the ages, the church has endured. The church will endure. 
But this isn't like a, this is God, God working through these people. No one wants to suffer. Think of what they've gone through. And I'm, and I'm beckoning back to Hebrews 11, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Walking across the street. I mean, come on. Amen. I mean, I'm talking to myself like, Lord, help me to have strength to see beyond the temporary, to look to how awesome you are. We've talked about his power over death and we're going to go into it. Don't fear the one who can hurt the body, but the one who can take the, the, both the body and soul and cast them into hell. We have an awesome God and his heart is for compassion for the lost and his plan is you. Amen. You and all your imperfections and all your weaknesses and all the things that need to get fixed and me. Amen. The only reason why I'm here is because God decided to pick some drug lawless young guy out of the world and say, follow me. And he forgave me and has forgiven me of so much. And he picked me up and called me into the call that I'm unworthy in. I've shared with you before. My greatest fear is public speaking. It has, was when I was a kid. Get me away from that. But you know what? Something grew. A love for God and a love for his word and a love for his people to see the God that I know outgrew my fear. So let God's love compel you into the work he's called you to. Amen. Man, we're among great company. So love you guys, praying for you. And uh, let's see what God would do through you this week. Amen. Lord, I pray for just the empowering and the calling of this church, God. We are few, but we are strong because of you. And so Lord, fill us with your spirit, God, empower us and equip us for the moment that you've called us to God. And help us to band together and not be alone, but to gather together with a group of four and pray with one another and then go attack and love people with the love of the Lord. And so God do mighty things through us this week. We are without you. We can do nothing, but we can do all things through Christ who strengthened us. And so Lord, the field is before us. The sheep are out there scattered on the Hills. Give us your heart and empowers to do your call in the name of Jesus. Amen. Lord bless you guys. Have a wonderful week in the Lord. Amen.